You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. In light of this toilet paper crisis, I think back of all the times I've gone teeping and thought, man, what a waste, right? Or all the times as a youth pastor, someone that I got TP'd. I would love for that to happen now, right? Um, so if anyone's interested, I can give you our address later. Uh, and so, but uh, on your seats, you have a crown. You probably saw it when you came in. Um, if it's not on your seat, then grab one near you. I'd love for everyone to grab your crown and, and adjust it to what it would have to be to be able to put it on. Uh, to give you a, a marker, uh, I have a rather large head, and so I'm at the fourth spot in, right? But adjust, put on this crown, figure out what it would be to be able to put it on. Uh, and put on your crown, all right? I know you're going to look silly, but that's right. Everyone in here looks silly, and, and we won't tell anyone, except for it's being broadcast live on Facebook Live, and so the whole world knows how ridiculous we look right now, all right? But put on your crown, and, um, and, and as we're doing that, um, these are, you know, if, you, if you're watching live, pause it, head to Burger King, go get your own crown, Come back, uh, enjoy the rest of the service with a Whopper in your crown, all right? And so um, this morning, it is a, uh, it, it's been neat. We have this Discover Jesus series, and, and I hope that you got your Discover Jesus book, and you've been going through and being able to do the devotions. It's been great this past week, and, and we get, we've gotten to discover the merciful king, right? And so each one of us is a king or a queen in some way. Right? There is something that you are the king or queen of in, in your domain. Perhaps you feel like you are the king of the house or the queen of the house. Uh, Henry, our five-year-old, his name actually means ruler of the house. And, and I regret naming him that because I think he has taken that uh, to heart, right? Uh, he, he feels like he's the ruler of our house. But maybe you are the king or queen of your home of your domain, uh, of, your, of your job. Maybe you're the top dog in your job or at least in your, in your department or, or you're in charge of your classroom. Maybe you're, you're the king or queen of your studies, that you nailed this one class and you got that. Maybe you're a king or queen of something as simple as just Mario Kart. Like, I'm amazing at Mario Kart. I know it and, I've, and I'll live it up. And I'm the king of Mario Kart. Maybe you're the king or queen in your kitchen. Nobody makes eggs as good as you, all right? Wherever this is, I want you to imagine what are you the king or queen of, and then turn to the person next to you, to that king or queen, and, and don't touch them, but tell them uh, what you're the king of, all right? What you're the queen of. All right. We're all kings and queens. I hope you could think of something that you are, that, that you are in your mind the pinnacle of. Maybe, uh, maybe the pinnacle of your home or you're an expert cleaner or, or just something. Something that you could look and say, I am the king of that. I am the queen of that. All right, if you want, feel free to leave this on, uh, or you can take it off if you want. But we will come back to this later on in the service, all right? Um, but... This morning, we're looking at Jesus as the king. You know, it's a phrase that you've heard many times. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a phrase that we say and, and we mean, but often we can take it a little too lightly. That we say he's the king of kings, and, but what does that mean? Like, do we stop and look at the significance of what it looks like to be the king? 
to be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And this morning, as we're doing this Discover Jesus series and we're discovering the merciful king, I want us to be able to dive into the Bible where you got three sections that we're going to look at. To, but the first is just to get a grasp of the magnitude of who this king is. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6, and, and Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. He was a man just like you and me, but God used him to be able to speak a message to all of Israel. In chapter 6, Isaiah is sharing to Israel his vision uh, of when he went and met God, and when God called him to be the messenger, to be a prophet. And in this passage, in this chapter, it, it just, it's, it's awe-inspiring. It's an amazing chapter to get a glimpse of this king, to get a glimpse of the king of kings, and, and I hope that as we dive into this, that we'll be humbled, that, that we'll see, as Isaiah does, that he feels humbled, he feels unworthy, he feels sinful, he feels dirty in the presence of the Lord, because the Lord is that amazing, the king is that strong sitting on his throne, and so we're going to dive into this and be able to try to grasp who this king is. That we often see Jesus as, as just another man. Uh, 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 obviously, he was fully God, but we see the human side of him much when we look in the Gospels. We see him walking around. We see him with the disciples. Um, we know that you know, he ate and he slept and he did all these things. But I want us to see the kingship of this Jesus. To see the king that is walking among the people. And to see the king that would leave it all to seek and save the lost. So if you have your Bibles open, it will begin in, like I said, we've got three sections we're looking at, but the first section is going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, or we'll have it on the screens. Maybe you just want to sit back and bask in this story and just dive into this visually. Close your eyes if you need to be able to capture what Isaiah shares with us. It starts with chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It begins with, in the year King Uzziah died. It's a line that many of us would just throw away, a line that we figure it was just Isaiah's way of putting a marker. Uh, you know, in, in, in 2020, uh, we did this, that in the year King Uzziah died, I had this vision. But there's a lot more to that beginning. To fully understand that, we got to dive into this and realize King Uzziah had been the king of Israel, had been the king for 52 years. He was a good king. He was a godly king. Until the end, he, he fell away from following God. But most of his life, he was a good king. He was a godly king. He led the people to come closer to the Lord. He led the people. There was some, uh, some wars, but for the most part, this reign of 52 years was a peaceful time. It was a prosperous time. It was a time that they felt safe. It was a time they felt secure. It was a time that they had very little worries. And so the year King Uzziah dies speaks volumes. When the king would die, that was a great time for other nations to come in, to other nations to come warring and try to take over, take over the people. It was a time for an unknown enemy. They don't know where the attack's going to come from. It's this unknown enemy, but it's going to come and it's going to attack. They don't know who the enemy is going to take, men, women, children, but there's a great chance they're going to be under attack. It's a time of fear. Is, what's the new king going to be like? Is the new king going to be harsh? Is the new king going to be mean? It's a time of fear. Are we going to be invaded? Or is, this, is there an unknown enemy that's going to take our lives? In the year that King Uzziah died, it's a time of great anxiety, great fear, great turmoil. 
sound familiar? It's interesting as we come to this passage this week, I feel like this is the same thing. It's a time when we're full of fear, full of anxiety, full of turmoil, where there's this enemy that we don't know who's it's going to attack and how it's going to get there. This virus is spreading over the nation, over the world, into our little town. And we don't know what to do. Everything was peaceful two months ago, but now there's turmoil. When King Uzziah was on the throne, everything was peaceful, but leprosy has taken his life, and now there's turmoil and fear among the people. So Isaiah makes a point to share that. It's not just a a line that we can blow away, but it's to let us know where the people are for a reason. That in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the fear, in Isaiah's time, or in 2020, there's a king on the throne. There's a king that's reigning supreme. And so Isaiah makes it clear as he shares with the people of Israel, in the time of King Uzziah died, in a time when the king has de- is no longer, in a time that we're scared, in a time of fear, in a time that we don't know what's about to come, there's a king on the throne still. And this is the king that I want to tell you about. Isaiah tells them he's sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We can't even begin to, to picture this, but if we were, imagine you're, you're in, in a, a holy temple, in a place where the king would sit, and, and you're, you come into the room and it's far away, and, but you see, far away, there's a throne, high and lifted up. And sitting on that throne is the king. And dangling down from the sides of the throne is a robe. And the robe doesn't come down to the side of the throne or come down the stairs, but it comes down and fills the entire room. Everywhere you look is the hem of this robe of the king. This king is so powerful, his robe is so extended, and it surrounds you, and it's all around you, and it's touching your shins. Now, in light of that picture, picture Matthew chapter 9, where you have the woman that's been bleeding. She's turned to every doctor, she's turned to every resource that she can to try to find comfort, to try to find healing. No one has been able to alleviate this bleeding. And she hears that Jesus is around. She hears that the king is in in town. And she goes over and she reaches and just touches the hem of the king's garment. And power comes and she's healed. Picture yourself in that room, surrounded by this hem of the garment. This power is all around you. It's touching your shins. You're in awe. You're amazed at what you see, of what, what Isaiah has painted this picture for us, of this idea of this God on the throne and this robe, this, this idea of power, this idea of his, his amazing ability is surrounding you, engulfing you, has filled the temple. And then the passage continues. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. This is our only reference to seraphim in the Bible. And and these are angelic creatures. These are angelic beings. These are created for one sole purpose, to stay in heaven, to praise God. These are not fallen creatures like mankind. These these seraphim have never sinned. They've never done anything wrong. They've never struggled with that. Their entire existence has been up in heaven, in God's presence, to be with him and to praise him. 
And yet, they have done nothing wrong like you and I have, and yet still look at their response. With two wings, they cover their eyes because they're not worthy to look at the Lord. That is this king. This is the king that we are trying to discover today. When we look at Jesus as a king, it is a king that the angels that have done nothing wrong, that have never had any sin, cover their eyes because they're not worthy to be able to look at this Lord. That they cover their feet because they're not worthy to stand in the presence of the Lord. They are completely humbled and in awe. And then with two wings, they fly. This is what it's like to be in the presence of the king. This is Jesus. I don't want us to take lightly who Jesus is and who Jesus, what he gave up. This is his throne. This is the king. And this is God's throne. And so the seraphim are there and they're flapping their wings. And it says, and one called to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. In the Hebrew language, to repeat something three times is a sign of perfection. So in light of that, look at that verse. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are proclaiming day and night, over and over, for all of time, God is perfectly holy. This is their sole job, and, and this is what has consumed them, is just to praise the Lord that he is perfectly holy. This is the king that we're talking about. That these seraphim, that's all they do is proclaim that he is perfectly holy. And, in, and that's an amazing verse, but look at the next one. The whole earth is filled with his glory. God has created this earth, created you and me. They're created in his image, and all he makes is glorious. Isn't that an encouraging thought? So the angels are there proclaiming and the threshold is shaking and the place fills with smoke. This is what Isaiah comes to. And I know I would be terrified. I'd be, I'd be out of my mind shaking and scared as was Isaiah. Isaiah proclaims, it says, I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, I don't deserve to be here. Woe is me, I should just die right now. Woe is me, I'm a sinner and I live among sinners. And look at the perfectly holy God sitting on his throne. I don't deserve to be in here. I don't deserve to be able to feel his garment. I don't deserve to be surrounded by his smoke. I don't deserve to have the wall shaking and to be in his presence of the King. And it says that then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The altar where that coal came from is where the sacrifices would be laid. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. That he died on the cross and he rose again as the sacrifice. And it says that because of that sacrifice in the story, they come and bring the coal and put it on his lips. And the seraphim says, your sins have been atoned for because of that sacrifice. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, our sins have been atoned for. And so we can be in the presence of the king because of that. 
I share all this for us to get a view of the king. Isaiah was in the presence of the king. And Isaiah was convicted and it led to confession. He knew that he had done wrong and he confesses his sins. And the confession leads to a cleansing. And he can be in the presence of the king. And so I share this first passage for us to just step in to understand what it looks like to say Jesus is king. This is the best Isaiah could do to describe it in human words. I'm sure it's much more amazing and powerful than our words could even comprehend. This is the king. Now, take that knowledge and let's move on to Philippians chapter 2. To a verse you might have heard before, it says, Paul talks about Jesus and says, Who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Equality with God, equal to be able to be on that throne, equal to be able to have that robe, equal to be able to speak and have the walls shake, equal to be able to fill with smoke, equal to be able to cleanse. He did not take that. As something to be used for his own advantage. But get this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. King came down, became a man, and died on a cross. And you can ask, why would any king do that? When you see this image that Isaiah has of what the king was, that he was equal with God, of what that life was and what the existence was, that he was willing to leave that to come and be be mankind for one sole purpose. That Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save you and me. If you have your Bibles and you're flipping through, now flip over to the New Testament, Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at one more story. And I want you to keep remembering this king. Keep remembering this king seated high on a throne that he left all that to be able to come and be among the sinners. Jesus has arrived at Jericho and he's healed a couple of beggars outside of town. And word has quickly spread that this miracle worker is here, this great teacher is here. That everyone wants to see him, everyone wants to hopefully be healed, everyone wants to be able to to see what amazing thing he's going to do. And so the whole city is abuzz. They know that Jesus is coming through and, and so they've lined the streets and everyone wants to see Jesus. Everyone wants to get close, maybe to be able to touch him, maybe be able to touch the hem of his garment, maybe be able just to, to catch his eye. To be able to to be in the presence of this great teacher of the Son of God. And so the, the city of Jericho is excited and packed the streets. And there's one man in Jericho named Zacchaeus. 19.1 says, Jesus entered Jer- Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and could not see over the crowd, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. You have Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. It meant that everyone hated him because he was the one who would take their money. He was the one that would often say, you owe this much, and he would look up and see how much they owe, and maybe they owe 10 denarii. 
And he would then tell them they owe 13. And he would give 10 to the government and 3 to himself. And he wasn't just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. He's the top dog. He's, he's one of the most influential government positions in all of Jericho. He's one of the most influential people in Jericho. He's one of the most wealthy, perhaps the most wealthy person. And he's gr- created this wealth on the backs of the everyday worker. From stealing from them, from taking their tax money, from pocketing a little bit for himself, from every single person. The people hated the tax collectors. They looked down on them, they thought poorly of them, and especially the top dog. But if you ask, if you ask Zacchaeus, who, what are you keen of? What are you keen of? Why would you deserve a crown? He'd say, I'm the king of Jericho. People fear me, people are, are, are cower to me, but people will do whatever I say. I'm the most wealthy man in Jericho. I'm the most powerful man in Jericho. I am the king of Jericho. I'm the king of money. I am the king of power. I'm the king of all that you would ever want as mankind. I am the king. And he wants to see about this Jesus. Everyone's curious about Jesus. The, <coughs> some believe son of God. Some believe just he can perform miracles. Everyone wants to see him. And so Zacchaeus is trying to get up with the crowd. And, and this is the one chance that everyone has to push back at Zacchaeus. He's a little guy, and so he's trying to make his way. And he asks to move, asks to move. And everyone kind of blocks him out. They have no respect for, for Zacchaeus. It's just fear. And so they block him out, and Zacchaeus can't get up to the road. And, and so he's trying to figure out, how am I going to see Jesus? And he sees this tree, and it's way beneath him to be able to climb on a tree. That's something kids do. But he's willing to do crazy things for Jesus. I love that aspect because that's what I hope all of us would be willing to do. Crazy things to be in Jesus' presence. That we'd be able to get up earlier, even if we're tired, and read our Bible. That we'd be willing to, to go on mission trips, willing to talk to a homeless man, willing to be able to tell others about Jesus because you just want to be in his presence. So Zacchaeus humbles himself and he climbs up in the sycamore, sycamore fig tree. And it says that when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. The people of the crowd, they've been, everyone's trying to get a hold of Jesus. They're trying to get his attention and having him look at him, hoping that, they, that he would stop, hoping that he would acknowledge him. And he finally does stop. But what for? To talk to Zacchaeus? Does Jesus not know who Zacchaeus is? Does Jesus not know that Zacchaeus is the tax collector, the chief tax collector? Does does Jesus not know Zacchaeus is a horrible man? We hate Zacchaeus. But he called him by name. So it can't be a mistake. What is Jesus doing? And so they go to dinner that night. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and the crowd is still curious. The crowd still wants to see Jesus. They're out there lying, lining the house, waiting for him to leave. And outside the house, they're complaining. They're angry. They're upset. It says all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're outside judging Zacchaeus, telling stories about how he's robbed him and how he's robbed her complaining about him and, and maybe even starting to complain about Jesus. Why would Jesus do that? 
Doesn't Jesus know that I'm much more holy than Zacchaeus? Doesn't Jesus know that I, have a, I would make a better dinner than Zacchaeus? Why didn't he come to my house? So the crowd is outside complaining, judging, bitter. But inside, Zacchaeus is meeting the king. Inside, while the setting is different and the circumstance is different than that of Isaiah, the end result is the same. Zacchaeus and Isaiah are humbled in the presence of the king. Zacchaeus and Isaiah uh, are, are overwhelmed. And I believe that there is probably confession as there was with Isaiah. And confession, uh, led, or there was conviction which led to confession. And confession led to cleansing. And we see that Zacchaeus is a different man afterwards. That in the midst of this dinner, in the midst of whatever conversation they had, I feel that, Jesus, that Zacchaeus had to have been convicted in the presence of the king and gave over his life to the true king. We know that from his actions when, when he, they come out of the dinner. It says when, uh, verse, verse 8 says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Zacchaeus knows the law of, the, uh, of Moses, which is if you've cheated someone, you have to pay them four times. He's an understanding of this law. And he says, I'll pay anyone that I've cheated, which is everybody. <laughs> I'll pay them back four times what I took. But then he not only understands the law of Moses, he understands the law of Christ. To love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I'll take a half of everything that I have. Give it to the poor. I'm going to give my crown. I was the king of Jericho, and I'm going to set that down at the true king. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus declares his mission statement right there. He came to seek and save the lost. The, 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 the people that are good, the holy people are outside the house just complaining and judging. And he goes and he has dinner with the sinner because he's lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save Zacchaeus. To seek and save those people outside. To seek and save the Pharisees. To seek and save the woman that was bleeding. To seek and save the woman at the well. To seek and save the paralyzed man that we talked about last week. To seek and save you and me. When we talk about discover the king, flash back to that throne room. Imagine that king that speaks and the walls shake. The angels are in awe that they won't even look at this king. And he humbled himself because he wanted to seek and save you and me. And all of mankind. Of anyone that deserved a crown in Jericho, it was Zacchaeus. But he was willing to give that up and follow the true king. How about you? We have these crowns, right? We have these crowns that were to remind us of what are we keen of. And, and some of you might have had a keen of something important. Maybe it was a keen of something silly. But the reality is we all want to be the king of our own lives. The queen of our decisions. That we want to do what we want to do. And sure, sometimes we might 
pray over a decision before a meal, but, but we often go to work and don't even think about God. We go to school and don't think about what Jesus would think of what we're doing. That when we're in our homes, with our spouses, with our kids, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, when we're at Walmart and, and trying to find the last bit of toilet paper, we're trying to pursue our own desires. We're trying to say that we're king and queen of our life. That's how Zacchaeus lived. And something at that dinner changed. And he was willing to give up, to let go of his th- crown and come and kneel before the king and to place that th- his crown at Jesus' feet. So this morning, each of you have a crown. And we're going to take a moment, and you can see all these crowns from first hour, that we came and laid our crowns at the throne. This is obviously not anything like the throne that we see in Isaiah chapter 6. I wouldn't even begin to imagine how we could have created that. But this represents the throne. Many of us are seated on that throne ourselves right now. It's time for us to get up and get off and give Jesus the throne of our life. And to lay our crowns at the throne. To lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And so this morning we have communion stations around the room and and I'm going to pray and then I want to encourage you to come and and lay your crown here at the throne first. Only if you're willing to. If you're willing to say, Jesus, I want you in charge of my life. I want you in charge of my home. I want you in charge of my marriage. I want you in charge of my studies. I want you in charge of my work. I want you in charge of everything that I think that I'm in charge of. Everything that I have become keen. Everything that I have become queen. I want to hand this over to you and let you be the true king. Jesus, will you rule my life? I want to follow you. And if that's the case, come and lay your crown and, and then go and partake in communion. Serve as a reminder of his death on the cross and, and his resurrection. To be able to come and say, we're taking our crowns and laying them at your feet. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, Jesus. If you will, pray with me. God, we thank you for your love and care. We thank you that you have come and died for us. God, each one of us feels like we're the king or queen of something. There's an area of our life that we haven't let go of. There's, there's a place that we want to make all the decisions. And Lord, right now, I just pray that wherever that area is for, for myself and for the people in this room, that we could come and lay our crown at your feet symbolically laying that area of our life that we are wanting to be in charge of, that area of our life that we have not wanted to let go of, that area of our life that we feel we have the power or the control, or perhaps that area of our life that we feel out of control, that area of our life that we're overwhelmed with that addiction or that pain or that anxiety. For God, at this time, that fear. God, let us lay that down at your throne and give this all over to you. Thank you for dying on the cross and let this time of communion serve as a reminder that we are forgiven, that because of that sacrifice on the altar, our sins are atoned for. We thank you for that. We lift this up in your name. 
Amen.